0: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Real Estate Rundown. Uh, In this episode, we've got Mark Willis. Mark Willis, say hi to everybody. Hey, everybody. (laughs) Perfect. He follows instructions, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) Hey, so Mark and I are going to be discussing real estate investing and self-banking and how an entrepreneur can fire their banker and become their own source of funding. So if you want to bank on yourself and how... You might be able to do that in the best way, even more cash than you want, make major purchases and grow your working capital fund. Well, you're going to want to stay tuned and see what we've got to offer here as we talk about self-banking being better than regular banking, traditional banking, and the amount of liquidity you can have for yourself to purchase more real estate in 2020 and beyond. So stay tuned. Follow us as we get into this new episode of The Real Estate Rundown with Shannon Robnett and Mark Willis. All right, guys. Thanks for coming back. Hey, Mark. So, I understand, Mark, you are an expert in self-financing whose accomplishments include the fact that not only you're man on a mission who helps people think differently about their money, their economy, and their future... But after graduating college with a six-figure student loan debt, you discovered a way to turn his, your debt into real estate wealth. So I can't wait to figure that out and have you help us understand that. Mark, thanks again for coming on The Real Estate Rundown. Let's just jump right in and have you tell us a little bit more about your story.
1: Awesome. Yeah. It, well, it's uh, we're in the midst of the uh, end of 2020, and you know we've got murder hornets and presidential elections and uh, a virus of some sort. But I love all I wanted to do all day long was just sit there and look at that beautiful beach behind you, man. So way to go. Uh, they're in a beautiful PR. So uh, it's all going to be OK now. Uh, yeah. So my name's uh, Mark Willis. I'm a certified financial planner. Uh, we, we started our financial practice in the midst of the last great recession. I'll call it the less great recession because uh, I don't know what we're going through right now, but it's not going to be anything to, that uh, that shadows doesn't shadow 2008, in my opinion. We've got tens of millions of people unemployed and more uh, bitterly divided government than we've ever had before. Now, with all the bad news, uh, I think there's some real strategies and some things that haven't changed since 2020 began. I mean, there's been a lot of fundamental shifts in our world, culture, economy, um, the government. But one thing that hasn't changed is something that's existed since the, the dawn of civilization, Shannon, and that is banking. Banking exists. There's a great book out there by David Graeber. The book is called Debt the First 5,000 Years. And that title says it all. I mean, so from the cave days, we've been trading and, um, you know, working with banks or some proto version thereof. And banking exists today. And in fact, you and I and every other person uh, listening, they're already, we are already in the banking business, whether we realize it or not. I feel like banking won't change no matter what happens with this virus, whatever. Banking will exist and continue. The question is who is sitting behind the banker's desk? Right. That is the ultimate question. If you are behind the banker's desk, you're gonna win. If another person or another entity is behind your banker's desk, they will win, Uh, plain and simple.
0: Well, and it doesn't matter, you know, you can take just about anything, uh, you know, you can take Dave Ramsey's philosophy about, you know, pay everything off and set yourself free. And whether or not you believe that, the reality is that if you're paid off, you are your own boss, you're your own banker, you're able to be more mobile in this economy. Or you can go with Robert Kiyosaki's uh, very fundamental book, right? Rich Dad, Poor Dad, where assets don't have the, the weight on you that liabilities do assets provide you with things, liabilities take things away. And the reality is all of that comes together in a very sensible way with banking and how financial freedom is tied to your ability to trade, to stop trading your time in a direct correlation with, hey, I I was here for 40 hours, I got this much money. So how do you help people become self-financiers?
1: Well, it, it, you're, you're exactly right. I think it starts with a question, Shannon. The, the best thing I can say to anyone listening is to ask yourself this very fundamental question. What do I want my money to do for me? Because if you don't ask that question, it's going to ask you to do things for it. So either you manage your money or it's going to manage you. Right. So take that three minutes or three hours and ask yourself, what do I truly want my money to do for me? And where your money lives will make it do different things. I'll say that again, because it's so fundamental. It's so simple, so simple. But where your money lives makes it act different. And if you've got your money in the wrong environment, it's going to languish, it's going to die, and it it might even cause you pain and suffering. You know, a fish in the wrong environment is dead. You put a fish out of water, it's gone. But you put a fish in a nice temperature-controlled aquarium with food every day, it's going to thrive. It's going to multiply. It's going to have little baby fishies floating around before you know it. So, where do you want your money to live? I can't answer that for every person listening, but I can say that you know where your money lives makes it act different. And for my wife and I, we had six figures of student loan debt. We had no plan to pay off the the student loans. We had a massive monthly payment. I say I, jo- I jokingly say I married two women in college. I married my beautiful wife, and I married Sally May. And uh, Sally May <laughs> wanted money every single month yeah. out of yeah. out of our pockets, you know yeah, so we were following the Dave Ramsey method which there's nothing wrong with being debt-free, except um, I would say that there's something better than being debt-free, uh, right. and that's actually being the bank. Uh, that's right. certainly better to me than being debt-free. Um, when uh, when we were following that method, we stumbled across something called the bank-on-yourself concept, which I think is very relevant even to today's uh, problems, struggles, hurdles that we're all facing today. I, I like to say that you know, as a certified financial planner, you, you really should be looking at all of your options. But Shannon, the trouble is there's 450, as far as I could count them anyway. So I was doing my studies, there's about 450 financial parking spots for your money. Right. Uh, real estate. Doesn't re- surprise. Yeah. Mutual fund. Yeah. You could, we could keep going. Annuities. Yeah. Sure. All of it. Um, yeah. So what is, what is it that we need our money to do for us? Here's a few key characteristics that I came up with. And Shannon, if you'd be willing, man, I'd love to kind of get just your own thoughts on this too. So I, I was thinking to myself, all right, we're, we're in mega debt. We've got very little income. We need to figure out a place to put our limited resources. We wanted to build real wealth. We were watching the stock market crash around us. Uh, and I was working for a CPA at the time watching all this happen. Uh, and so for me, I needed a few key characteristics for my cash. I wanted liquidity. So easy access to the money. I wanted guarantees that it was going to be there when I go to look for it, that money, right? I also wanted it to be growing in a predictable way. I wanted some sort of multiple tax advantages. Like I didn't want it to be taxed every single year, like a CD would be. And I didn't want it to be taxed in the future because I personally believe that my taxes would be going up over my lifetime. So I wanted tax-free access to the money. Um, And also I wanted privacy. I wanted to be outside of um, creditor and lawsuit risk. If I was gonna get into real estate, I knew uh, and I'm sure your audience already knows that there's about a nine in 10 chance that over a 10-year period, people in real estate get sued. It's just the way it goes. Um, so that was my kind of short list.
0: I was going to say, if that's the short list, I'd hate to see the long one. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I really said, all right, everyone tells me to put money into a 401k, but where did that idea come from? I mean, we all, I mean, this was a surprise to me, Shannon, but 401k's are not even old enough to get AARP. It's not even old enough to retire yet. Right? You know the 401k is 40 years old this year. Right. So what about you? Well, you know, if you uh, could just wave a magic wand.
0: You know, the thing that the thing that I've always looked at is uh, I get hit up all the time. People go, "Well, you know, I need I where do you find an accountant that can find all the all the tax savings and I where do you find a financial planner that knows everything?" I say, "You don't." You know, you have to be you know, I, I mean, I have five or six people involved in my life, plus my own home study, right? So, I mean, I'm constantly reading books on new tax strategies. I mean, that's, you know, that's why I'm here in Puerto Rico. You know, my, my accountant didn't know anything about that. And that's not her job, right? And so when I when I talk with people like yourself and I go, okay, what do you have to teach me? And when I hear that person go, well, this is the only thing you should be doing, I go, whoa, wrong teacher, Right. But right. integrating all those strategies together, where I, I've got tax advantages of a 401k, tax advantages of life insurance, tax advantages of all of real estate, of of you know where you live, all those different things, and then you come up with a a, a solution, a mix that will be a little mm-hmm. bit different for everybody. But at the end of the day, Mark, you're exactly right that that having liquidity is very important, especially if you're going to want to be involved in real estate, because so much of that is about timing.
1: Right. Well, that's so true. Uh, So combining items together can either make it more powerful or less powerful. You know, if you put nitro and glycerin together, you get something really wonderful there. Uh, Peanut butter and jelly, better together, you know? So so I'd say find the right strategy, find the right uh, financial products to combine them into the right financial strategy. Here's one that really stood out to me as I was needing and wanting to pay off my debt, build real wealth outside of wall street and actually become my own banker. Uh, it was surprising to me when I found that whole life insurance, modernized whole life insurance helped me do everything I just listed there, you know, um, access to capital, uh, Life insurance is liquid, accessible cash. I can get the money out of my life insurance in about four or five business days, right. guarantees. It's built and grows guaranteed every single year. Doesn't matter who the president is, doesn't matter what the stock market's doing, doesn't matter who's sneezing on who, it's gonna grow guaranteed every single year. It's tax-free when I access the money. If I've designed the policy correctly, it's like a Roth IRA, uh, except without all the re- like restrictions of a Roth IRA. Right. I can put in whatever I want into a policy, Uh, I can contribute to that policy. I can access it without any like government restrictions. I don't have to wait till I'm 59 and a half years old, like a Roth IRA would make you wait. Uh, So, and of course it is life insurance. So it's going to leave an instant estate for my family and pay off estate taxes if those come back and that sort of thing. So that's sort of been my, my key, my parking spot, you might say, my garage for all my cash, but I certainly don't leave it there. And to your point, Shannon, what I do typically now, now that I've built these uh, kind of a portfolio of what we call bank on yourself designed whole life policies, what we do is we use the cash in those policies to become our own source of financing. And maybe that's a little bit about what we can talk about for your audience today, especially as it relates to real estate.
0: Well, and that's and that's so true. You know, one of the things that I've always told everybody that, that will take the time to listen is... I can show you ways that you can do 30% more with what you're already making, right? And that's just limiting your uncle, right? That's getting rid of Uncle Sam, identifying yeah. who he is, identifying strategies to not let him have 35 cents out of every single dollar that you bring home. And you don't have to do that forever because if you can go 35% farther without him, then that's great. So, let's just let me just ask you straight forward, how can I use what you're talking about in a tax advantaged way to make it go 35% farther or 20%. Yeah.
1: Well, and and I'll even tell you a, a pretty interesting strategy we've used to even maximize what you still have to pay in taxes to build wealth off that too. So okay. we'll get you from hundred to 35, you know, to 75%, 65%, but then we'll figure out a way to build real wealth on the, the check. You still had to write to the IRS every year. Uh, Cause like a lot of our business owners, they're still struggling, um, you know, uh, their PPP money's run out, their EIDL's run out, uh, and they need cash. Cash is what operates most businesses, uh, right. every business. It's like oxygen. Uh, and they all pay taxes. And you're right. I think uh, the general notion is that taxes are going to go up in the future. So the big question is, um, do I want to pay tax on my seed or my harvest? Do I want to pay tax on the seed or the harvest? And one thing is for sure, uh, you know, the harvest is great. <laughs> the seed is usually small. So the question is, all right, what, am I, what does my harvest look like? Do I want to pay taxes on a harvest that uh, I'm not sure, you know, the government's gonna take or keep? You know, it's, it's sort of like, uh, you know, we're coming up on Halloween here and uh, we're gonna take my daughter out for a uh, trick-or-treating for one of the first times ever for her, she's a little four-year-old. But Mm -hmm. I was thinking back to when I was a kid, and I was the nerd in the neighborhood, and there were a couple of bullies that approached me one year, uh, and they said they were going to take my candy when I got back from all the trick-or-treating. So right there, Shannon, how motivated would you be, if you were me, to collect a ton of candy? Right, right. Okay? Exactly. Now you see where I'm going here? So Congress uh, hasn't quite voted on exactly how much of my 401k, if I had one, how much of our 401ks they own. Right. They but haven't they voted won't. on it yet.
0: Yeah, don't get yeah. to it. Trust yeah. me, they'll, 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 they know it's there, but yeah. there's other there's other uh, people they're shaking down for candy right now. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, and they
1: get to vote every year throughout your retirement exactly how much they own of your 401k. There's right. no. There's no. Um, this is not a tin foil hat theory. This is exactly how the 401k was written into the tax code.
0: Right.
1: Uh, so I'd say you know take a look first at what your overall tax strategy is to lower that tax bill this year. And that's what a good CPA can help you do. But also, how can we lower your tax bill and obligation, not just this year, but over the rest of your lifetime, and even into future generations? I want to see how little we can still pay our fair share, of course, but how little we can pay to the IRS uh, over the next three generations. That would be a really cool tax strategy to talk about.
0: You know, and the funny thing is too, you know, it's funny that you feel the need to mention um, pay our fair share. And it really, to me, the the reason that that's humorous to me is it's because how you interpret the tax code, right? Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. But, but if you interpret the tax code as a penal code, if you don't do this, if you don't have rentals and you don't have depreciation, then you will pay this tax. Or, you interpret the tax code as the incentive code right. that says, if you have rentals, then you will have depreciation and you won't pay this. Right. So the reality is everybody, depending on which side you're on, if you're taking massive tax advantages, which are yours to have because you understood the code, then you've interpreted it as an instruction book, not a penal code,
1: right? Well said. Well said. Couldn't have said and it better myself. Yeah.
0: I've always encouraged people to understand what it is that gets you the biggest discounts, right? right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, I'll tell you a little guilty habit. I have, I own a couple of airplanes and I like to buy the airplanes at the end of my tax year and put them into a company called Phoenix aviation that rents out airplanes. And then I depreciate the airplane in the year that I bought it in. Mm-hmm. And my wife can't even argue about whether or not I saved money buying an airplane right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's because I understood the tax code that I understood that that was available to me, mm-hmm. right? So, I figured out a way to make a business out of an airplane because I wanted to do exactly the kind of thing that you're talking about is minimize my my tax code. But now that I have what's left, I have to pay that tax on it. So, how can I do what you're suggesting with the seed that I have left after I bought the airplane? Mm-hmm. Don't, don't take away my airplane, Mark. Yeah. Right.
1: So, but <laughs> well, I already got yeah. the airplane.
0: So now, what? Sure. What can you? What are you? What is your concept that allows people to move on from there that grows yeah. it for three generations?
1: Well, yeah, you're exactly right. The tax code is a series of incentives. It's an instruction book. Uh, we are helping guide the the nation to doing what we need. Uh, the we meaning the people. We the people need our country to have. The government doesn't want to be. In the real estate business. So they invite private investors like yourself to invest in local economies and they reward you for the trouble. Uh, mm-hmm. That's what we call a tax advantage there. I mean, we could talk about other fun ones as well, you know, like employing your children, doing the business 199, 199A deductions. Uh, yeah, buying but a heavy that's just vehicle. awkward that's when you got to write them up and fire them, you yeah. know? mean <laughs> Put them in the airplane, you know, they can serve you drinks or whatever. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, But, you know, so one of the things that we've really found to be quite helpful is lifetime tax strategy. So life insurance, speaking of tax advantages, has always, meaning since 1913, the IRS is only 107 years old right now. uh, And life insurance predates the IRS by a century. So using a grandfathered tool like life insurance putting money in after tax and then letting it grow tax deferred and have access to it completely tax-free allows us to use that money. The harvest is all tax-free cash under current tax law and as it's always been. And the death benefit is income tax-free. So if I'm putting in a hundred grand a year or 300 grand a year or, or three grand a year, add a zero, take away a zero, I can pump money, any amount of money I comfortably want to into a whole life policy designed this way that we've been describing. And that money for the rest of my life uh, is never exposed to the taxes ever again. And that money, taxes can double, taxes could triple, but that money in that whole life policy is accessible to me over and over again without any taxes due, no matter what taxes do. So if, if taxes double, zero times anything is still zero. So I like that for my tax law. Uh, and of course, I can pull that money out. I can invest in real estate, take advantage of all the tax advantages that real estate affords, recycle it back into my policy. And while that loan against my policy is outstanding, Shannon, if it's designed correctly, the policy will continue to pay me growth and dividends on the entire cash value as if I had never taken out a loan. So let's say I've got, pick a number, let's say I've got half a million bucks in cash value. And let's say I wanna invest in uh, one of your deals, or maybe I wanna invest in some real estate. Let's say I borrow out $400,000 to go do something. My policy that year will still pay me a full guaranteed cash accumulation and a dividend on the entire 500 grand, even the amount I had borrowed out to give you or invest anywhere else. That to me is an incredible arbitrage. And all of that was after tax and all of that was tax-free. Uh, and and of course I get to take advantage of all the regular real estate advantages that tax, the tax law affords us. Now, once it comes out of my policy in retirement, retirement, whatever that word will mean for each of your audience members, that's also income tax-free. So I'm sucking all the money that I've pumped into that policy over however many years, whether one or 10 or 30, it's all coming back to me tax-free, that's awesome and I pass away and I leave the death benefit income tax-free. So show me anything else that can do that kind of um, multiple use case. It's almost like a Swiss army knife in the tax code.
0: Well, and you know, the other thing too, that we have been doing a lot lately is doing a cost segregation study to do accelerated depreciation, right? Yeah. So if you look at that scenario, and I challenged the doctor friend of mine, who's one of my business partners and doctors are really smart people. I'm not saying they're not. Um, but there's certain things that certain concepts that are difficult for them to grasp. And this was one that I was telling him because every every month he was putting away his anticipated tax payment that he was going to have to pay. And he had, at this time, he had about $200,000 in his bank account waiting for the day that he was going to pay taxes. And I said, you know what, doc, you need to buy a $800,000 asset. We'll depreciate it out. You'll use your $200,000 for your down payment and you will be able to get your tax bill wiped out. And he said, you're you're crazy. I said, no. I said, let's get your accountant on the phone. We got the accountant on the phone. We ran through the basic numbers and that, ha- that was happening. Then the accountant says, I think maybe he was one of your students. He says, but if you put it in a life insurance policy first, then borrow, loan it to yourself. Then, so now you're three-stepping it. So, the reality is, Mark, you can sit there with putting it into a whole life policy. You put in your Mm $200,000. You're borrowing out a portion of that. You're using that as your down payment to buy the real estate that gives you the depreciation that lowers your tax bill by the amount that you put in your life insurance policy. It's great. It's a tremendous strategy. I love it. Now, the fact that I borrowed this and put this into my real estate What happens when I sell my real estate and make a profit on that?
1: Mm -hmm. Do I have
0: to pay back the loan?
1: Well, you don't have to pay back the loan. In your lifetime, the loan could be left outstanding and then you pass away decades from now. The death benefit is simply reduced by whatever the loan balance is. Most of our clients recycle the money back through the policy and then borrow it out again for the next
0: deal or whatnot. So what are there tax advantages to this if we do this inside of a business?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's a couple of really cool strategies inside the business. Let me give you just a few. Uh, It can be a tax deductible premium. So most people aren't aware that you can do bank on yourself inside a business, deduct premiums that you're putting into the policy. And then the policy is accessible income tax free for the owner when it comes time for him, he or she to retire. Now, most people aren't even aware you can do that, but it is possible depending on how you're incorporated and all the details of your business, but you can deduct premiums, meaning your contributions into the life insurance. And again, just like you said, you can put, you know, any amount of money, you brought up $200,000, you know, you could put any number into a policy as long as the underwriters at the insurance company can approve you for it. And yeah, there's some strategies for using it for tax deductibility of the payroll expense or the uh, deductibility of the premiums that is. Uh, but you can also use it inside the business for your business's acquisitions. You know, guys, your business needs capital. So yeah. you know, if you've got a if you've got a decision to make, hey, do I want to pay cash for that new boiler that we need for the building, or am I going to use my life insurance policy? Let's think about it for a minute. If I if I pay cash for the boiler, hundred grand or whatever it's going to cost me, that's a hundred grand I'll never see work for me or earn for me ever again. Right. If I use my life insurance policy, I get to use I'm still a cash buyer in the eyes of the um, boiler purchase seller. But for me, I'm borrowed from my life insurance, and that policy, the life insurance cash value, continues to earn as if I'd never took the loan. And then I let renters or tax refunds or whatever else I want, windfalls from selling a piece of real estate, pay off the policy loan, so I just wash rents repeat and continue the the upward cycle of using this policy as a line of credit to myself,
0: guaranteed. I've also heard, Mark, that people, business owners, use this as employee incentives or uh, what do they call it? The golden handcuffs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How does that work?
1: Yeah, you can use it as a golden handcuff strategy. I, I love the strategy. Uh, I'll use golden parachute and golden handcuffs.
0: Whichever. So, you know, uh,
1: yeah. Both of them. Yeah. For the owner, it's a golden parachute, you know, because right. you've, you've built for yourself an asset on the balance sheet of your business that you can use as a line of credit for your business. Had a gentleman who had a million dollar line of credit at the regular bank down the street. It was in, uh, you know, a couple years ago. And he had his line of credit slashed in the midst of the last recession. They yep. termed out his loan from a million dollars down to zero. Pay us back in five years. We're out of your business. And that was a great time to get out of business with, uh, you know, in the midst of the last recession. So yeah. this yeah. guy was like, I am firing my banker. I am sick and tired of these banks. So what he did was he over five years packed as much as he could into a policy, had a, a million dollar line of credit that he uses inside his policy to operate his business. And you know, he's used that as his personal retirement plan, a golden parachute. So he can use that walk away from his business, sell his business, walk away with his million dollar cash value of his life insurance as another tax-free income retirement stream for him. So that's the golden parachute. A lot of people also wanna retain good sales guys or gals or other important key people in your business. And maybe you wanna give them a sort of a bonus, but you don't like the idea of having to get uh, stuck with just a 401k, or maybe you wanna give something on top of your 401k to your best employees. You can pick the best two or three guys or gals in the business, on top of their 401k, you can give them an executive bonus life insurance policy. These are very common in upper boardrooms and executives. If you look up the 162A plan on the tax code, it's a great way for you to deduct contributions uh, on your tax bill. So the business gets to deduct the premiums and the executives or the key people, it could just be a great sales gal or, or it could be just an important person in your business. You want to give them that bonus that extra, you know, it could be three grand a year. It could be three hundred grand a year that you give them as a bonus, and you get to write that money off as a payroll deductible expense. Just some ideas there for payroll. So
0: let, let's let's dig into that for a minute, okay? Um, l- l- let's say that I've got I, I want to give an employee a 25000 uh, dollars bonus this year. I give that to them. They're going to walk home with maybe 12 grand of that by the time uncle sam gets done saying well that was bonus that was additional compensation we're going to get our grubby little hands on it but if i put that into a, a policy like you're talking about and this person and i work together for the next 10 years then they haven't gotten hammered on it because this is this is the thing if you're looking to bank on yourself you're not looking to increase your lifestyle with the 25 grand. You are you like to do things with it that are tax deferred. So, if you were able to do that for 10 years, in 10 years, you're going to leave my employment with $250,000 that's cash value to you. Mm-hmm. Now, can I use that during the 10 years as far as my business goes or is that Entirely yours.
1: Oh, it's a creative solution, and the answer is both. You can choose as the business owner. Yeah, That's yes, what I'm <laughs> talking about.
0: I love you because you loaned me my money back. Is Shannon, that yeah? You that get sounds the right. little, that sounds like I don't that, that sounds a little tacky, but I yeah.
1: still love you because no, you like you. Me I appreciate back. it. I appreciate that. My uh, so I'll 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 let my wife know, but I'm sure she'll you know she'll be glad to. So. <laughs> uh so no the the quick answer is you're the business owner you get to decide you're in control if you want to own the asset while your employee is working for you it's your asset and then if he or she leaves you can offer that to them as a parting gift you can put a re- vesting schedule on that that's up to you it's not a government sponsored ERISA retirement plan so there's no like locked in vesting schedules and you can decide to make that a three-year thing or a 10-year thing or whatever you choose. You're the business owner and you can use the cash while they're still working for you as uh, another bucket of money for your capital expenses, whatever your business needs. Do
0: I have to do the same thing for each employee?
1: No, no, you could pick... The janitor and the best sales guy, and then that's it. You can choose any combination. So it's of not employees. like
0: it's not like a retirement plan where I have to do. You know, if no. I do a if I do a simple IRA or uh, something like that, I have to do the same thing for everybody. Right. And yeah. then and then when I go to put money in twenty five thousand dollars from an employer standpoint, doesn't fit to go into that retirement account. Correct. And yeah. that's their retirement account. I can't ever have access to it again. Mm hmm.
1: That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So given, given all this, you know, the business has their needs, the employee has theirs. So you want to build a real good relationship with your employees. Most yeah. business owners that I work with, we do both. We have a a bonus pot that they get if they stick with you for 10 years, let's say, and you give them something that they can enjoy, see growing, have access to um, every year, you know, for example, and you can deduct that. So part of our conversations we have with clients over Zoom or over the phone is we just figure out what's the what's the situation here with your business. Who are your employees? Who do we need to build a real package for to help retain them or attract them. That's that's really what we focus on. So
0: if if we're doing this in, a, in an employee scenario, um is the employee can the employee contribute also?
1: Yes, mhm. Yeah. We have a combination deal where if you put in some, they put in some matching program. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. So this really gives you a lot of flexibility. Now, if I'm looking at it from a business owner standpoint, the reason that I do a simple IRA is because I want to get money out of my company uh, to my employees, to myself for retirement, but I'm 48 years old. I can't touch it for another uh, 11 years at a minimum, right? Mm-hmm. I can't borrow it back I can put it into self-directed IRA stuff but even then I can't be the um, can't kill your hard.
1: airplane with gasoline yeah with fuel with that right yeah right
0: right and I can't decide not to pay it back right it has mm-hmm. to go into a hard asset and it has to go back the minute it's out of that hard asset right so basically you've just told me that not only can I be my own banker I don't need a IRA guy either
1: yeah. Yeah, every, com- every company is going to have a- their own decisions. I have found that SEPs, Simples, they're like blunt instruments. They're like combo meals at McDonald's. They're fine for some people. But I would say if you're really looking for the ribeye, if you're really looking for a great like custom tailored solution for your business, you can do more and you- you're able to have both. You can have the regular SEP for the average employee and for those special individuals that you really want to keep. You can attract them or retain them with these additional um, packages. And for you as the business owner, it gives you more uh,
0: leverage. So what if we got partners, right? So what if, I mean, what if I'm not the only owner of a business? Is there a way that we can protect each other as well as do the same thing?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Again, being a bank to your own business affords you some pretty cool, Uh, competitive edge against other guys or gals in your niche. So think of the average business owner who desperately needed cash earlier this year uh, and is going to need more cash. Now they're going to be begging a bank or hoping and praying for stimulus checks, whatever. But you uh, with your savvy business partners created a asset on the balance sheet of your business that's liquid and protected and market resilient and guaranteed to grow and always available to you no matter what the markets, no matter what's going on with um, stimulus checks or cash available to your business. So you've got a line of credit to your business. It just so happens it's life insurance. You know, we could be talking about anything. We could be talking about any other asset, but it happens to be life insurance. So Shannon, if you and I are in business together and let's say you don't, um, you know, let's say that I pass away one afternoon and I don't show up at work the next day. Instead, my wife shows up and she says, Hey, Shannon, now I'm 50% owner of our business. And you're like, wait a minute, do you know how to run this business? And then she says, no, no, of course not. I just decided I'm going to run this thing. And now you're in trouble because you've got an equity owner you didn't really want to have.
0: So life insurance- I'm sure she's
1: a nice lady. I yeah, mean,
0: she, she is know, other than
1: she'd be a better than, partner than I would, but
0: other than picking you, I don't think she's made too many choices, right? I mean that's the same that's the story my exactly. wife all the time, that's right? Right. Yeah. But other than that one bad choice, what else have you done right? You know <laughs> That's great.
1: I love it. I'm gonna use that. That's awesome. so okay. she would definitely be a better partner, but let's say she let's say for whatever reason you weren't interested, what you'd have in the life insurance death benefit from my passing is a giant pile of money where you could pay her off. And, and you'd even have a written agreement saying that she would take that cash. And so she'd be happy with a, a bunch of money. You'd have all the equity. And all of a sudden, you've got equity ownership and, and you can do with it what you will. That's a buy-sell agreement where you can walk away if that should happen. If the, There always needs to be an exit strategy for a business. Yeah. Heck, there needs to be a business uh, exit strategy for just about everything in our life but with a business, especially, we need exit strategies and a buy sell agreement. A great strategy using life insurance can make sure that you've you've got a walk away plan if something yeah. should happen.
0: Well, and you know the other thing that it does too, uh, Mark, is it it puts away for a rainy day. I mean, this is you keep saying it shows on your balance sheet, and I don't know that my listeners totally understand. But if you're in the bank asking for money, and they go, "Well, what's this? What's this five hundred thousand dollars right here?" Well, that's my life insurance policy. That's the cash value inside that. And they go, well, a million-dollar life insurance policy isn't too great, but a five hundred thousand-dollar cash value is tremendous. Right. So, Mark, how do we? I mean, I know that when I look at where my life has taken me, if I were to have set this up when I was twenty-five, I would have, I would have outgrown it. How, how do I get this right? Is Is it a one-size-fits-all or can I get multiple policies or or what happens here when I start with you? And I go, I think a million bucks is going to work. Or I say, I don't care about the insurance. I just want to grow the money. What do we do?
1: Yeah. Everybody I sit down with, we have a 15 minute call. That's just quick answer questions. Happy to do that with your audience today. Um, and then after that, we'd have a more in-depth meeting to listen to your objectives, your goals. It's not a good fit for everyone. Guys, don't do this. If you're just looking for 30% rate of return every year, or if you can't save money, this is not a good strategy for folks unless they can save or have cash to set aside. But to answer your question, my first two policies, my wife and I started each at 500 bucks a month. That's all we did. That's all we could do at the time. But it's it was something in our 20s to get started. And since then we outgrew those. So we just bought more policies. You can add as many of these as you can be approved for. And now we've got 10 of them between uh, multiple different companies and each one you know, is a different size and different limit. And so maybe your policies are gonna be different Shannon today than they would have been at age 25. But the point is you've got the control, the ability to make your own design uh, and custom tailor it to what you're trying to accomplish.
0: So wouldn't, I mean, so, you, but there's a cost to the insurance, right? Yes, definitely. Mm-hmm. So the fact that I have 10 policies, is that like having, uh, like I mean, when you get in a taxi, the, the first mile is the most expensive, right? Is it that way with insurance or does the fact that I have 10 policies that are each a million dollars all equate to roughly the same cost as one $10 million policy?
1: Well, you know, I'd I'd say it's going to be six, one, half dozen, the other in in that question, the way you phrased it. Well, you know, let's use that idea of the metaphor. The metaphor of the taxi is interesting. Let me use the metaphor of an airplane. So that first mile of your airplane is the least efficient, right? That least efficient mile is the first mile. But every single mile, a taxi doesn't get more efficient every mile it drives, but an airplane gets more efficient every mile it flies. There's less fuel in the tank and it's actually overcoming inertia. And it's going, you know, at a more efficient mile, every mile it flies. The same is true with the life insurance. Give you a quick example. Usually these policies, I start to, the, the first two or three years, there's some insurance expenses. And again, guys, don't do this if you can't get past the first two or three years of insurance expenses. You know, um, we're talking, if you put in a hundred grand, you might have anywhere between 60,000 and 85,000 bucks of cash value in the first year. So somewhere in that ballpark. So we're buying life insurance in the first two or three years. But by the year third or fourth, now the policy is growing faster than we can contribute to it. And so at that point, again, the airplane, it's getting more and more and more efficient. And in fact, by year 10, 20, 30, whatever, now it's like unbelievably uh, accelerating where the policy is actually increasing double, triple, four times your annual contributions. Uh, and so it's it's sort of a long-term financial strategy. Did that answer your question, Trina? Yeah. yeah, it does.
0: So, Mark, what I'm hearing you say is that this is something that does a lot if used properly. However, used improperly, leaves you with nothing but a bad taste in your mouth for insurance, right? Uh, so when you talk to the guy whose brother's sister's cousin did this one time, probably not the right guy to talk to, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, the reality is, Mark, I just I want to say thanks for coming on the show. I want to say thanks for taking the time to explain this to our listeners. And, you know, everybody, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for being with us this week. Um, I want you to go check this episode out. I want you to get a hold of Mark. Um, his information is in the contact, so you're going to be able to get a hold of Mark at? NotYourAverageFinancialPodcast.com. We made it nice and short for folks.
1: NotYourAverageFinancialPodcast.com. Click on request a meeting. Happy to chat with folks for 15 minutes.
0: But hopefully you guys enjoyed this episode where you can learn to be a real estate investor and a self banker at the same time and how an entrepreneur can fire his banker and become your own source of financing. So guys, share this episode with your friends Use the social media buttons at the bottom to comment, like, subscribe. And thanks again, guys, for tuning into the Real Estate Rundown. And thank you very much, Mark Willis, for joining us.
1: My pleasure.